Good morning. Very good morning, good morning and uh, welcome again. In the Kingdom Vineyard, we normally preach from quite large chunks of Scripture because we place a high value on context. It's been well said by the old timers that a text without a context is a pretext. And in most of our sermon series, likewise, like the one in Hebrews that's coming up in two weeks' time, uh, we prefer to follow the structure that the Bible actually provides for us rather than to make up our own, which is dodgy business. But from time to time, it is helpful to address specific topics. And today and next Sunday, as the freshers engage on the annual church search, it does seem appropriate to take the time to state as clearly as we can who we are as a church, what we're about, and... um, and also some things that we're not, and what we are and what we're not, where we're going, where we've been and stuff. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, used to put it like this. He said the church is a bit like a bus. You know, a bus might have all mod cons. It might have wonderful reclining leather seats. It might have plasma TV screens. It could have uh, air conditioning. It could have uh, sort of waitress service. Um, but none of that's really important if it's not going to the right place. So all we're really trying to do in these next two Sundays is to put a big sign on the front of the bus so you know where it is that this bus is going. And it's no bad thing either, even if you're not new here, if you've been around for the 11 years that this church has has been going, to just reflect a little while on what we signed up for, where we've been and where we're going. So to that end, what I want to cover this morning in this first part of our introduction to the Kingdom Vineyard Uh, wittily called MTV, Meet the Vineyard, uh, is the why, the who, and the what. I'm going to do a little bit of Bible, what motivates us, uh, a little bit of biography, who we are, particularly Carol and me, but as a church, and a bit of a briefing, what kind of church this is. First of all, let's begin with a little bit of Bible, Um, what motivates us. Let's begin by reading Luke 4, 14 to 21. This is where Jesus famously quotes the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 61. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, in in Luke's gospel, Luke's account of Jesus' life, this is the first notable event in all his public ministry. Verses 14 and 15 actually skate over some pretty dramatic events in Jesus' life in order to draw attention to this one. In the same period of time that Luke skips so lightly over in two verses, Matthew records the call of the first four disciples, the start of a remarkable healing and deliverance ministry, 
and the first preaching of the gospel in the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But for Luke, the best way to begin the wonderful story that's going to end with the death and uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is to tell us clearly in Jesus' own words what he came to do. In this short passage, he not only establishes Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, he also tells us what kind of Messiah he is. In the Messiah, which as most of you know means anointed one, the Jews were looking, and they still are looking actually, forward to a priest and king who will be God's representative on the earth who will usher in the perfect justice and healing and peace of God's own kingdom. As a Gentile, predominantly writing to other Gentiles, this identification was massively important for Luke to establish in the minds of all his readers. Most of them belonged to a culture where you had many gods, and if you'd you'd lost something, you'd pray to one god. If If your dog was sick, you'd pray to another, and so on. Now, the Jews were very different. They had only one God, but this was the God who made heaven and earth and sustains them to this day. This was the God who generously put mankind in charge of the earth, only to watch them mess it up. This is the God whose plan to fix everything and reconcile all the peoples of the world to himself in one glorious, everlasting kingdom was the Messiah. The plan was a man. Isaiah 61 was known to prophesy the coming of this longed-for saviour. So what Jesus is saying quite clearly in verse 21 is, look, you've, you've been yearning and praying and waiting for this Messiah all your lives. Well, now you're looking at him. And it's an indication of what they thought of that statement that a few verses later, if you look on, they try to throw him off a cliff. But what kind of king is this Messiah? What kind of kingdom is he bringing? And where do we fit into it? In Ephesians, Paul three times likens the church to the body of Christ. The physical means through which the head, the ascended Jesus, now acts upon the earth. So the question for us in the kingdom vineyard, as for every church on the planet, is are we bringing in the kind of kingdom Jesus promised? Or are we doing something else? As this passage indicates, we want to be a church, verse 18, let's have verse 18, yeah, where the Spirit of God is upon us, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, a church which brings good news to the poor, and that necessarily means providing for their needs, because if you've got no food to put on the table for your children, there is no such thing as good news. Verse 18 again, which proclaims liberty to those who've been taken prisoner by their enemies. Verse 18, that restores sight to the blind, blind in body, blind in spirit. Verse 18 again, that sets people free from every kind of oppression. Verse 19, that preaches the gospel of God's favor, not his anger. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus famously passes on to his own, his own disciple-making ministry to his own disciples, commanding them that they teach their disciples to do all the things he commanded them. So if this is the passage Jesus chooses to describe his ministry on earth, then it must also describe the ministry of his body, the church. 
And if that interpretation seems to lay too much weight on what looks like a relatively insignificant event, why not look ahead three chapters to Luke 7, 18 to 23, where John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, John having been imprisoned and lost his way a little bit, come asking if Jesus is indeed the Messiah or if they should be looking for somebody else. His answer in verse 21 begins not with words but with action. Healing, casting out demons, restoring sight to the blind. And when he does finally speak in verse 22, he says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. So in Luke 4, at the very start of his ministry, Jesus defines his term, his, his, his purpose in terms of Isaiah 61. And three chapters later, he once again defines himself as Messiah by the very actions he promised in chapter 4. If we had time to look ahead to chapter 9, we'd see that when he sent out the 12, he gave them power and authority over demons and diseases and sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Likewise, in chapter 10, verse 8, when he sent out the 72, he told them to heal the sick and proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. At every point, Jesus defines not only his mission, but our own in terms of Isaiah 61. So, for us as a church, it has to start with the poor. It has to place a high value on social justice and personal freedom. It has to be involved in healing, Yes, of attitudes and emotions, but also of bodies too. It has to be setting people free from bad habits of thought and action, from addictions, from mental illness, from all the works and emissaries of Satan. And it has to be good news, not bad news to the world. That was the kind of church movement that uh, Carol and I found after a rich and varied history, let's say, a tapestry of church experience, good and bad, when we first stumbled across the vineyard in 1994. And very refreshing, we found it. So that was the kind of church we were part of at the time we, were, uh, we heard the call to come here and plant this church. And when we moved from London 11 years ago, it was also the kind of church we came here to plant. So that's a little bit of our biblical basis. Second, a little biography, who we are. When we first arrived here, the question a lot of people asked us was, why plant another church in St. Andrews? Because you've probably seen there are churches in every street corner. And I suppose if I were to answer that question in theoretical terms, the answer would have been quite simple. Because no one else is doing church anything like we want to do it. We value, we totally value diversity in the body of Christ. Just as God values diversity in creation. That's his nature and it should be ours. Church is not a matter of one size fits all. And the best advice we can give to to any of you who are are looking for a church is to find one where you feel at home. One that will will challenge you, yes, keep you awake spiritually, but but one where you feel safe, one where you feel at home. One that's not so totally unfamiliar that you, uh, you don't feel loved and you can't feel part of it. We want you to flourish. And if you want to go somewhere else, that's absolutely fine with us. But if you want to stay here, we'd love to have you. The need in St. Andrews for more church diversity was very, very clear when we came. The vast majority of our first non-student church members 
they were Christians who'd given up on church. In fact, it was a regular experience for Carol and me to have people weeping on our shoulders at the end of a Sunday service, saying, oh, it's so nice to come to a church where you go away feeling better than when you came in. <laughs> I thought, well, please. Anyway, the need was clear. And then there was the students. They could have chosen any of the other churches in town, but even though we were small and new and relatively unknown, many, many of them chose us. But none of those reasons, true as they are, was really the reason that Carol and I came here 11 years ago to plant a vineyard church in St. Andrews. We came simply out of obedience to God. And if I'm honest, we were a bit slow at first to hear the call. A return to Scotland was for both of us a homecoming, but we were more than happy where we were, thanks very much. I had a perfectly decent job in the Met Police. We had a lovely family home in West London and a lovely family to live in it. A great group of friends. We are active members of a large and thriving church, the Riverside Vineyard. Uh, and there we served on various Sunday teams. We became home group leaders, then overseers of uh, a cluster of home groups. Carol was enjoying working in the, the storehouse ministry, which we're about to hear about our own in a minute. A family life with our three daughters uh, was wonderful. Everything was tickety-boo. So what was not to like? And so we were a little bit surprised and perturbed when our senior pastor sent us on a church planting taster day. Hmm. We really went only out of respect for him. We didn't really feel it was for us. We spent an agreeable morning uh, doing the exercises and had a very agreeable free lunch. There is such a thing as a free lunch, by the way. Um, but if you'd asked either of us at that time, uh, we'd have said church planting is simply not for us. But then something happened after lunch when the guy who was in charge of the afternoon session uh, stood up and just started prophesying into the, into the crowd. And he, he was so precise. I was talking to a, um, a guy called Caleb earlier on. Caleb is my absolute Bible hero. And this guy just started with Caleb. And I, you know, so I pricked my ears up. And he said things that nobody knew except God about me. This is a guy I'd never met before. And by the time he'd finished prophesying, in the space of 10 minutes, we completely, both of us, completely changed our mind about church planting. What followed is a good story, but it's too long to tell here, perhaps over lunch. Uh, suffice to say that after waiting in vain for God to give us a plan of where to plant and when, we eventually took the advice of some wise friends. Always a good thing. If you've got wise friends, take their advice. And their advice was to make a plan ourselves and ask the Lord what he thought of it, rather than waiting for him to give us the plan. And as soon as we did, the God incidences, you know all those coincidences that stack up when God's telling you to do something, they just came so thick and so fast that it quickly became obvious that God was saying yes. Now, I had already um, trained to an extent at what was then called the Vineyard School of Ministry and Biblical Studies, that's a good mouthful, isn't it? Um, and on leaving the police, I joined the pastoral staff at Riverside in the year 2000. And at various points during the next four years, we checked out our ideas with our leaders at Riverside and various Scottish leaders as well. Also a good principle. Check your leading with your leaders. And much to my surprise, they all endorsed the plan. So come July 2004, we'd really run out of excuses not to come. As Psalm 37 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he'll bring it to pass. In a nutshell, I just want you to understand that planting this church wasn't our idea. It was really a matter of obedience. We were going along joining the dots that God had already put on the page. And this is the picture that emerged. 
All we had to do at that stage was summed up in the last prophetic voice I heard before we moved. With just a couple of weeks to go, um, I was visiting a, a Christian conference here in St. Andrews, staying with Andrew and Valerie, the only people we knew in the whole region. Uh, and just before one of the talks started, I was praying like mad that God would show me something, anything about what we were going to have to do here. And the speaker stood up and announced her text for her talk, which was Revelation 4, verse 1. Come up here, and I will show you. <laughs> so we did. Sometimes we have to step out in faith before God shows us the next part of the plan. We began the church with, uh, with a single small group meeting in our house. Then we eventually added a second one in another house, and we handed on the leadership of that one and started another one. And so it went and grew and multiplied. Um, we eventually added in occasional Sunday services, then monthly Sunday services, then weekly, and we've outgrown a couple of Sunday venues over the years, taken on some part-time staff, rented the centre that some of you are invited coming to lunch at, at you're all invited, 62A Largo Road. Most years, I guess, we were probably a church of about 150, over half of whom are students. We have no particular ambitions ever to become a large church. We are currently trying to work out what the Lord meant just before we came north to plant when he said to us, literally, and this is a good story too, in letters 30 feet high, literally, think big. It could mean a number of different things, but the, for the moment I feel quite content to be a small church that punches above its weight in terms of making disciples. Disciples who make disciples. Next week I want to go on into more detail about the vision and values which define us as a church. And we can certainly discuss any questions you have over lunch in a few minutes or at pub church maybe on Friday. Uh, don't miss pub church. Way pat, one o'clock. Uh, let's mob it if we can. Nachos are good by the way. Um, for now, let me finish up with thir third part, a little briefing. What kind of church we are. The vision and value statement that we eventually came up with wasn't that difficult to construct. It was just a matter of putting into writing what God had already formed in our hearts and minds through many years of that rich and varied tapestry of good and bad. You know, all experience can be useful provided we're prepared to learn from it. And we'd learnt a lot, both about the kind of church we wanted to be and the kind of church we never wanted to be as well. Apart from the Riverside Vineyard, I'm particularly grateful for three formative groups earlier in my life, where these values were first forged in me, and in the third of which I met my wife. The earliest of these was a group of six school leavers, including myself, 40 years ago. Together we, we attended a series of Bible studies led by a guy who didn't really believe in church, but who was quite open to the Holy Spirit. And just to tell you the sequel of this group that was gathered by a guy who didn't believe in church, last time we met, three of us were the senior pastors of thriving vineyard churches. One was married to a C of E vicar. One was running the ex-offenders ministry at Holy Trinity Brompton, and one to name drop shamelessly, was newly appointed the Archbishop of Canterbury. You never quite know what God is doing in the churches and groups he takes you to. 
And in this case, I think it's fair to deduce it wasn't the vision of the leader of that group that was the most important thing. It was his openness to the Holy Spirit. During our last year in London, Carol and I visited Coventry Cathedral, where we came across a phrase that encapsulated in a few very simple words exactly what we felt called to do in the church we were called to plant, and that is helping people make connections with God. This connection, these connections, probably plural, are all important and all too often never get made. But there is never a problem with making this connection at God's end of the line. He is the God who loved us before we loved him, 1 John 4.19. He's the God who anticipates our requests before we even ask, Matthew 6.8. He's the God who loves even his enemies, Matthew 5.45. He is the God who is in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5.19. So if there's a problem, it has to be at our end. For all of us, these connections can always be improved. And any of my fellow hi-fi nuts will tell you that the better the connection, the better the sound. But for those who don't yet know God at all, the first connection we help them to make is absolutely transformative. Now, we often express the ways we aim to make these connections with four Ws. These are the four pillars of our church's vision and practice. They occur in different proportions at different times, but it's our clear intention to operate constantly in all four. Very simply, they are the word of God, the worship of God, the works of God, and the wonders of God. It's neat, isn't it? We... <clears throat> depend completely on the written word of God in the Bible as the wellspring of everything we seek to be and do. But in addition, we believe that God is still speaking today. And accordingly, we also value hearing his voice through the prophetic. Now, that's always tested by scripture, but we do take it seriously. From the very beginning, in Genesis 1, we see how God creates by speaking. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was. Likewise, we're told that his son Jesus, as in Matthew 8.16, frequently healed with a word. And if we're to be rightly connected with God in a way that allows him to create and heal in our lives, we must be open to his creative and healing word in all its forms. Jesse, would you make your way down? Where's Jess? The second W, which is no less important, is worship. Um, and Jesse is our, our worship supremo. Uh, in Romans 12.1, St. Paul points out that the whole of life should be an act of worship. Yet corporate worship through singing, the same writer actually commands to both the Ephesians and the Colossians. Very important. And they have to make it their regular practice, as we do. Jesse. Over the last uh, ten years that I've been here, I, was che I checked my documents uh, this morning. There have been nearly 80 members of the worship and technical team. Uh, what that should tell you is that um, I, uh, 
I like to open the doors as widely as possible to people joining the team. So um, let me just kind of uh, lay out a couple of things that I'm looking for, and maybe if this kind of rings, uh, resonates with you, maybe you want to come and speak to me or any of the team that you've seen this morning. In this environment, what we seek to do as a worship team is simply what Toby just described, is to help people make connections with God. There's no... uh, magic formula that we possess that um, causes God to come in any greater power than in any other place. He doesn't need our help to come, but we ourselves uh, need a little bit of help and every little bit of help that we can find uh, in order to fully engage with him. So what we seek to do is just to use every last drop of our talents and skill to, uh, to help create an environment in which people uh, are able to connect with the spirit, the presence of God. So uh, the, people, the sorts of people that we look for in the team are people who have a, a heart and a hunger to worship God and people who have some kind of skill or talent. So we kind of hold heart and skill sort of in the balance there. So uh, you may be somebody who has an incredible heart for worship, uh, like Joel. Um, uh, but, you know, you might not have any particular skill in, uh, in, in, uh, in needing worship. Um, <laughs> um, however, you know, there, uh, my experience is that uh, many, many people um, tend to play down uh, how, how, how talented and how skillful they actually are. So, so you may think that you're not good enough for the team, especially having, you know, sort of heard such extraordinary musicianship this morning. Um, but, um, but do not, uh, be afraid. I, uh, uh, and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're a really sort of, uh, broad school of, uh, different sort of levels of ability. And, you know, the sum is, is much greater than, no, sorry, what's the thing? What's the saying? We are, you know, the, the total, the net result is better than this, whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, we also uh, do some training, and there's actually a training day coming up on the 26th of September. Uh, it's going to be a Saturday morning uh, going through to lunch up at the Vineyard Center. It's a kind of, it's, it, this year it's going to be a kind of bring your instruments kind of, uh, training events, so just kind of come along, play some songs together, do that kind of thing, and just see uh, see if you want to join the team. We're always looking for people to join the technical team, so even if you don't have an ounce of musical talent, uh, but you know how to you know plug cables in or push buttons or uh, you know dial things in knobs and faders, then uh, we've we've got some uh, some uh, great opportunities for you to do that. Uh, but Lastly, let me just say uh, that I'm not looking to fill quotas in the team. I'm never, I never have a sort of a sound that I'm looking to create. I'm really hoping that uh, everybody who feels called, called to worship and called to actually involve themselves in this ministry has an opportunity to do so. So I'm the kind of guy who works with the materials that God puts before me. So uh, don't feel as though, 
oh, you know, you've seen so many singers, there aren't enough spots for singers, or you've seen drummers or bassists, and there's no room for you. There is room for everybody. So uh, if you're just even interested, have an inkling of interest, then do get in touch. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jess. So that's um, word and worship. The third W that we use is is what we call the works of God. And by this we mean the physical manifestation of God's coming kingdom through social justice programs. As we saw in Luke 4, the good news of the Messiah's arrival all begins with the poor. And over the 11 years we've been here, might sound like a long time to you youngsters, but actually um, looking around, most of these churches have been around for hundreds of years yet. The 11 years we've been here, we have managed to make an impact, a small but significant beginning in this area with what we call our storehouse ministry, which is headed up by Morag Steele, over to whom now. It's very nice. It is kind of rock star. Round of applause as well. That's good. Um, as Toby says, uh, you know, our, our mission statement, you know, Jesus' mission statement included compassion for the poor. And Storehouse is just our outward expression of that. Um, we run it at, currently as a food bank. Um, and we run through um, the generosity of most of the churches in St. Andrews. So even if you don't come here, you may well hear about Storehouse from other churches as well. It's their generosity that uh, supplies the food that we give out to the the poor in our community. Um, You might find on your seat or underneath the bottom of the person next to you. Please don't bother them unless you know them really well. Um, this is our shopping list. We give out non-perishable food items and household items. Um, and if you want to give that, um, take away this wee shopping list. Pray as you go for your, for your weekly shop and see if you can just add an extra item that you could bring to church on a Sunday. We've got a table downstairs that you can drop off at or you can drop off at the Vineyard Centre on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, we give out our... F- our food bags um, through our partner agencies um, who work with families in the area. Um, And we also now do it through drop-in sessions as well, where people who get a referral form from places such as maybe their GP, their health visitor, or through citizens' advice, um, they can come to the vineyard centre. We give them a cup of tea and coffee. We have a chat with them and uh, supply their, their food needs for a few days as we're able to. Um, it can be many reasons why people end up looking for help from a food bank. It could be anything from they've got benefits issues, there's delays and things coming through. Or it just could be, you know, if you're on a low income and you get an unexpected bill through, the food bank can provide food whilst money is diverted to that that place. So it's not just, you know, as I say, for people who are absolutely out on their feet. It's, it, we're, we're there to help in any way we can. Um, and if you would like to be involved with the storehouse, we have opportunities for that as well. Um, please come and have a chat with me. Um, we're especially looking for people who might be available between 11 and 1 on Tuesdays. That's our, our, one of our drop-in sessions we could really use extra volunteers for. Um, 
I'm going to run an information slash training session as well. So you can come along, you can find out about it. We'll lay it all out, what's involved and everything like that. So um, if you'd be interested in that, that's on Tuesday, the 6th of October at 7.30 in the Vineyard Centre. Again, come and speak to me or come along to that session. That'd be great. Thank you. Nearly there. That's word, worship, and works. And the final W, which we uh, close with this morning, is what we call the wonders of God. By wonders, we mean the more obviously supernatural side of the works of God in the world. Anywhere you slice the Gospels, you will always find Jesus doing the same thing. Preach and heal, heal and preach. He very seldom does one without doing the other. Why? Because we've just seen from our brief readings in Luke... This is the ministry of the Messiah and of his kingdom. So in common with the practice of Jesus and his disciples, in common with the practice of the early church, and in common, dare I suggest, with the practice of the fastest growing groups of the church today, it is our habit to lay hands on the sick for healing and on any who need it for any reason for an impartation of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do in one minute's time, expecting the Lord himself to stand among us in his healing power and in his willingness, as Luke 11.13 puts it, to impart the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. Worship, word, works, and wonders. For today's purposes, I've necessarily concentrated on the corporate nature of church. But I will say this. If we engage wholeheartedly in these four W's together, we can also expect to be effective in a fifth W, which we undertake not only corporately, but most of all individually, and that is witness. But that's the subject for another talk, recently covered in one called 4Gs of the Gospel, which you can find among the many excellent podcasts freely available on our website. The four W's affect the whole person. We make an emotional connection with God and his body as we worship together. We make a mental listening connection in the sermons and the Bible studies we participate in together and also in our little chit-chat group um, at Pub Church on a Friday. We make a connection of the will with him when we give our money to the offering or our time and energy to prayer and service or bring food to storehouse. And right now, we have an opportunity to make a connection of body and spirit with him as we pray for one another. If I can ask the musicians to come back, uh, I'm just going to invite anyone who'd like to come forward for prayer to do so. And some of those who've been trained in home groups will lay hands on you. Why not just all stand together now and I'll say a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling this church into being. We thank you for the opportunity um, to be part of it. We want to pray for clarity for those who are looking for a church at the moment. I pray that they'll just know uh, whether this is the place for them or not. And and if not, that they will quickly find their spiritual home. We pray for those of us who've been around for years and years. That you'll restore our vision your vision for this church. And may we become a people who help others make connections with you. So come, Holy Spirit, 
and move among us. Would you release your healing power in this very room right now? Would you come to us as we come to you? In Jesus' name, amen.